ladies and germs. Welcome to another episode of uh, our wonderful podcast, So You Can Hear Me When I'm Gone. This is a general discussion about a very important topic, and we have a very important guest. Our technical guru, Me. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be discussing. Hold on, I gotta adjust my mic. We're going to be discussing the riveting topic that is on everyone's mind ever since uh, Elon Musk sold all of his shares in Tesla. Maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. Okay, wait. Elon Musk sold all his shares in Tesla? Yeah, it was like this brouhaha on Twitter, you know, because that's real. Um, apparently, somebody somebody was trying to make a point. I don't know. It was somebody important or somebody worth listening to. I don't know, some kind of governmental person or an agency or whatever. Oh, it was the UN probably. I don't know. Somebody toting the UN. Essentially, that they were saying um, it was like some minuscule percentage of Elon Musk's net worth would solve world hunger. It was like the equivalent of like... I don't know, $6 billion or something like that. Anyway, so he he fired back and said, hey, can you explain to me how $6 billion is going to solve world hunger and I will sell all my shares in Tesla right now? Oh, by the way, yeah, it has to be public accounting. I want expenses and all that jazz. Like, has to be completely transparent. And of course, nobody did. And then it kind of shook up the market. They're, they're like, "Oh, Elon, don't don't sell your shares!" Oh my gosh! Oh. <laughs> but then he went and did it anyway. That's he went hilarious. and sold a bunch of shares. And anyway, it's funny. Yeah, interesting. It goes back to the old war on poverty argument, right? We've spent billions over the last fifty years, and poverty has basically Still remained steady. Among us. Yep, steady. Well, actually, it's been going down because the world population has been growing, but the poverty line has been also moving over time, and it's generally kept about like one one eighth of the population or something like that. I don't know. You know, um, Jordan Peterson talks about this a little bit, well, obliquely, but essentially he's talking about IQ. And it's really, actually, it was, it's both riveting and horrifying. So I'm paraphrasing, but, and, and he's actually addressed this on several different instances or in several different instances, but essentially this IQ is actually, uh, I'm paraphrasing because, you know, they didn't cover this when I was in medical school, <laughs> when I was getting my PhD, <laughs> but uh, essentially the army has done, they've got like about a maybe give or take about a hundred years worth of IQ data. It's actually quite uh, controlled. In other words, like it's not very subjective. It's it's pretty cut and dried um, science, if you will. Um, What's well, an objective test, right? Yeah, it's very objective. Um, they've got good data on it. Essentially, this right. The objective of the army is obviously in wartime and peacetime. We want people to come into the army. Right, we're always looking for people, recruiting people. That's kind of the, the nature of the beast. 
And so to do that, we've obviously have to fill, fulfill jobs. Well, they've got, you know, over a hundred years of data, essentially that it's like, I can't remember the exact figure. I think it's either 82 or 83, one of those two. But if you have an IQ of lower than 83, essentially there is no job in the army that you can do without it being counterproductive. <laughs> Or without without it becoming counterproductive. So if you 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 sign up for the army and you've got an IQ of like seventy five, let's say, or or seventy, there's no job in the army that they have where you doing it wouldn't become counterproductive and inefficient down the line. That's so interesting. So now you translate that over, right? You look at all the different jobs in the army and translate that over, parallel that with jobs in the private sector, right? And, and you got a, a nice comparison, right? Well, they've, they've tracked this and it's essentially, it's approximately 10% huh. of the population has an IQ of less than 83. So if you think about that in terms of like poverty, or in other words, if you can't hold a job now, granted, there's probably jobs that you can do in the private sector and be paid where you're not inefficient with an IQ less than 83. Sure. Um, but are they jobs that are paying you to where you can survive? I don't know that. But the point is, is if roughly speaking, and of course we're speaking, you know, very macro level here, but if that's accurate, then that means there's approximately, and obviously it fluctuates, but approximately 10% of the population that can't productively work in society, which means it's roughly translated. There's some percentage of that 10% that are going to be in poverty. You know, they don't have family members that are taking care of them or they're not, you know, so there's some percentage of that 10%. Yeah. That's where the poverty or, or that's where a section of the poverty comes from. Interesting. That is fairly logical. Well, I compare that to like the scriptures, right? The savior said the poor are always, are always among us. Yep. And I just look at that as doctrine. Like, well, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't, like it's hopeless and, and you know, our efforts are wasted and we shouldn't spend time on charity or our money or time or resources on charity. That's, that's, not exa- that's the antithesis of what the Savior said. But he did say that the poor are always among us. Yeah, he did. So regardless of any war we wage, even effectively on poverty, there will always be poverty. Yes. But what's interesting... Milton Friedman, like, you know, capitalism, not raw capitalism, but capitalism has brought more people out of poverty than any government program in the history of the world. Quite, quite literally the only thing that's worked. And capitalism or the free market, I actually prefer to talk about because pure capitalism, we don't, we don't actually like that either. No. Yeah. But free markets, free markets you know, as defined by Friedman, free markets only flourish when there's freedom. Yeah. Well, he actually argues, at least in part, that the uh, the foundation to a truly free society begins with economic freedom or financial freedom, whatever you want to call it, money. Having the choice to spend your money on what you want slash need is a core fundamental to building a free society to have free choice. I completely. So I don't know if that one comes before the other. 
I'm not really that deep into it, but well, know. I mean, the chicken, chicken, egg stuff. But at the same time, chicken and egg. Yeah. Regardless, the point remains. Um, so, you know, if you want to talk about relieving poverty or, or combating poverty, like it's some um, an actual creature that is sentient. <laughs> war on poverty as if it's fighting back or something i know it's like it's it's just such garbage rhetoric but anyway if you wanted to you know go fight poverty you know go slay that dragon really if you want results based right you want to free up markets more and more it's like that stat you told me about with gun control right or, or gun gun violence as, a, as if gun violence were worse somehow than like knife violence yeah right I mean, getting stabbed with a knife, I mean, that's deep and personal and scary and raw. Getting shot, at, I mean, that's like, I didn't even see it coming. Yeah. Or maybe I did, but like, you know, it's a little bit discon. Anyway, that's the different point. The point is the stat, right? On, on like, what was it? 90 something percent of, 93%, I think it was, of school shootings happen in a gun free zone. It's like, well, just uh, seems like an easy, easy fix here. Easy math problem to do. Just don't have gun-free zones. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. Notice how I talked on like three or four different political issues all in one go. Yeah, so you're really <laughs> wrapping it all up in one thing here. Yeah. I, I, I want to pull up this quote from Einstein. I'm trying to find it. I don't think it's an actual quote from Einstein. I don't know. It seems like it got repeated everywhere, though, for a while. You know, is darkness... Darkness is the absence of light, right? That kind of concept. Similarly with poverty, I'm, I'm thinking poverty is the absence of prosperity. Mm-hmm. So it's like, kind of like, what well, can you, you can go chase after the dark, trying to ex- extinguish the dark, but the best way to fight it is just by bringing more light into the situation. Similarly, the best way to fight poverty is bringing prosperity into the situation, bringing the things, the ingredients that make prosperity happen or that foster more prosperity on average is going to be your best bet. Totally agree. Well, and you're talking from a government or policy standpoint. I mean, brass tacks, boots on the ground stuff, that's obviously not possible. But yeah, absolutely. From like a policy standpoint, definitely. Right. It, it really boils down to like, what what's what's the purpose of government? Is the purpose of government to help people, or is the government the purpose of of the federal government to you know remain within the strictures of the Constitution? Yeah, well, and also I, when we get into these discussions, I feel like there's a point where it's like, haven't I? I always come to this thought like, haven't we struck a nice balance already? I know that there's two extremes to this spectrum, like no government assistance at all. People should always pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And then on the other side, it's like, no, we should be doing everything for the poor. We should be taking from the top most rich and just taking everything from them and giving them to the poor. And it's like, <clears throat> both answers seem a bit wrong to me. 
And haven't we already struck a nice balance in society? I mean, you can go to college for free if you are in a a poor financial situation. You can get government aid. You can get food stamps. You can, like, all these things exist right now. Do we need more? Like, aren't people already given the tools plenty to prosper at this point? Uh. Yeah, I think you could make that argument for sure. I, I think it boils down to because it sounds like the call of your question is like what what action is needed now, or what it, what further action or further inaction is needed now, and and that boils down to who you're talking to. Because some people would say, "Well, the see now the system's rigged. See, this person can't get ahead no matter what you know." So we've got to help them. And then you talk to you know hardcore Republicans or whatever, and it's like they just need to you know pull themselves up by their bootstraps more. We just need to. So, I mean, from, from my point of view, it, it goes to the argument of just because I object to a thing being done by the federal government, you automatically assume I object to that thing being done at all. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I think we should, I think we should help the poor. I mean, absolutely. I, I, I donate to charities all the time. I, you know, exactly, I, as do I. Right. I mean, the church is one of the biggest charities on the on our on the planet. Right. I just don't. I don't think the federal government should be involved. Now, if you want to talk state government, sure, we can have that conversation. But federal government, absolutely not. Yeah, agreed. Because whenever the government is involved, it's it's less about the goodness of your heart and more about. Uh, the coercion and force of the government, you know? Well, I mean, what is government? I mean... Force. Yeah, it's force. I learned that from you. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's... that's Because the government doesn't do anything or it doesn't doesn't tell people to do anything except by either force or the threat of force. Exactly. So, you know, you don't pay your taxes. They take taxes. If you don't pay your taxes, what's going to happen? You're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Now, and we know from the Constitution, you know, there are finite enumerated powers given to the federal government. Now, that's, that's totally different when we talk about the state government. Unlimited, infinite powers to the state government. Yeah. So those are, those, those are two different things there. Yeah. Well, and the reason is because the state government is closer to the people. Right. And you people have a lot more control. Yeah. People tend to make better decisions in smaller groups or decisions that are better adapted to their own circumstances or the circumstances of the people closest to them. Uh, Elder Renland gives a really good talk on the distance between giver and receiver. Yeah. And he says, as the distance between giver and receiver grows, yes, so does the the sense of entitlement that also grows with as the distance grows, because when you're so detached from the person who's giving the money and the person who's receiving the money, you just, they, they become more entitled. You become more entitled. But when you can like look into the the eyes of the, you know, the proverbial widow who's casting in her, of her substance, her might, her might, then it uh, it changes you, right? It changes your heart. It's like, oh man, like 
I need to step my game up or I need to do better or I need to change some things in my life maybe so that I can. Well, it becomes an edifying experience for everybody involved, the giver, the receiver. Yes. It's, it becomes an uplifting experience. Yes. Cha- it changes them. Right. Federal government coming in, pointing a gun at you saying, hey, we're going to requisition your tax dollars and just throw it at this problem over here. See, now that's taken away all- Right. That just makes right. everyone angry. Well, it makes the, the, the person who's being taken from, it makes them quite angry because it wasn't their choice. It destroys any altruistic, genuine altruistic feelings you had right. completely. Because now, the, why did you give to that person? So you, could, you can talk till you're blue in the face like, oh yeah, I genuinely wanted to give them that money. It's like, yeah, but the government made you. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, I wanted to. Okay. Sure. All right. Well, if that's the case, then why don't why don't you give more? <laughs> right, right. They're always yelling about how come. Well, you know how come the rich don't pay their fair share, and how come you don't? It's like well, you can always pay more taxes if you want. You can give more money to the federal government if you want. Yeah, which I always find is hilarious because they've statistically done this. We have the numbers. Republicans and conservatives give way more money in charity than Democrats do. Yes, I've heard that. Yeah, which is interesting. There was even, I, I don't agree with Mitt Romney, but um, uh, there was this journalist, I can't remember his name, but back in, what was it, 2012, when this was him and McCain and then Obama, the race with against Obama, this journalist, I think it was for the New York Times. Anyway, he would just rip Romney all the time. And then years later, he wrote another article and basically said, I finally got to look at Mitt Romney's taxes. And I got to say, <laughs> he gives a lot of money to charity. Yeah. So he essentially wrote this post about, you know, not a apolo- well, kind of apologizing, but I don't know. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Well, I'm having a thought here, Barbosa. It's like, um, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were talking about giving. We were talking about the federal government making you Mitt Romney, McCain, Obama. Giving to charity. Giving to charity, which brings up the church's giving machines, vending machines. That's true. I read an article, or I saw an article about that today. The Light the World Project, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Light the, Light the World. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I never actually knew the brass tax of it, but essentially you just like pick a charity that you want to do and donate and that or pay whatever it costs to do that thing. So that's actually what you're doing. Well, I was thinking, okay, we've, we haven't, we struck a good enough balance in our country today. Oh yeah, that's right. With between the government is providing services. And then there's, there's always the, I think the battle between the two extremes is important oftentimes because they can like, like I work in government, right? And I see that there is waste. I see it. I understand. Sure, sure. I think anybody who works in any company can can see some waste, and maybe there's more in some government bureaucracies. And so I, I, I can see some of the draw on the far extreme side to like let's cut programs, like. Let's cut some programs. I I think that's a healthy thing for the for a giant institution to be doing. It's like let's cut it for some time and if the need is still there, 
let's see if we can get it solved with some third party companies or some charities. But if the need is still there, then okay, let's bring the program back, but maybe we'll bring it back in a different way in a, an enhanced way, a more intelligent way. Let's that we can maybe fix some of the problems that were there before. You know, I think there's, it's a really healthy exercise to entertain the question of cutting some government assistance programs. Well, yeah, I think you're right. The extremes, extremes on both sides. Well, I guess it kind of depends on how, what you define as extreme, you know, what are you trying to accomplish and what's supposed to be done? Again, I want to make the distinction between federal, state, county, city, governments. Yeah, exactly. These are all very different things, of course. They are very different. You work for one of those. You do not work for the federal government. Let that be known. And and I'm harping when I'm talking about this, I'm mainly talking about the federal government. And the problem is, is with these things, they, they tend to metastasize. They don't shrink ever. Exactly. So that's, so, you know, I can yell and scream all day about how we need to cut all these programs. But in the end, you know, we have that fight like you're talking about, right? The extremes going at it or, or even all the, you know, more moderates in there. And but at the end of the day, the actual result is, you know, we cut maybe one or two programs or, or maybe modified them or shrunk them down. Whereas I was screaming that we should cut, you know, everything, ah, you know, right. And, and that doesn't end up happening. And then on the far side, on the other side, right. They're like, well, you need to add these programs and, and grow this program and blah, blah, blah. That doesn't happen either. And then, and then that's what we, what you're talking about. We have this kind of equilibrium between the extremes, the kind of eye, yeah. eye of the storm, so to speak. Yes, sort of the the balance point. I think balance is important in these situations because the, it's hard. Look, I'm a programmer, right? And one of the lessons you learn as a software engineer is that it is really difficult to account for every use case. In other words, if there's uh, five people who are going to use the program and they all work for the same company, then that probably means that you can cover their uses very easily. But as, as you spr- the more people you include as your user base, the more difficult it can be to provide a, a product that's intended to do quite a few things. I'm, I'm being kind of vague, but like, I'll give you an example, like uh, HR software. It's difficult. It's easy. It's easy, easier to provide an HR application to one company because they run their HR department this way and this is how they hire people and these are the forms that their company needs to sign and these are the tax things and blah, 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 right? And we're in the state of Utah. And so writing a software application to cover that use is going to be pretty finite. But as soon as you start... It's going to be very specific, catered to their needs because that's exactly. how we do it. So it's right. like, oh, this is a lot easier to manage. Let's just do this. It, you could even argue that same thing with maybe two, three, or four companies. But then when it gets into like right. 10, 20, 30, then you got to get more generalized. You need to get more and more general. And now you start hopping states. Now let's make this something right. that works in Utah and in California. Oh my gosh, there's a yeah. lot different state laws in California yeah. than in Utah. So now we've got to as a software piece of software that's intended to run correctly for everyone, you got, you now get really complicated. There's a lot of complications there. And now the more States you add to this pot, the harder it is to fit all these different use cases. Well, these types of employees work for our company. We're a shipping company. Hello. 
we have dock workers or we're, we're a company, we're Amazon. We have to have HR software that covers all of the many uses at Amazon, right? right? Or we're a government agency. So it, one HR program to fit them all is just, oh my gosh, I don't right. think one exists. Herculean. That exactly, it's Herculean. It's impossible. It's dang near impossible. But yet it, when it comes to some of these government policies, they're trying to do this one size fits all thing in a lot of cases. And it's complicated at the federal level. Yeah. At the federal level, they're trying to yeah. knock these hammers in with their, these nails in with their hammer. Yeah. And it's like, you are not going to be able to cover all of the use cases. Right. I mean, it goes back to uh, Milton Friedman's, I'm paraphrasing, you know, but we, we have this horrible tendency to, to judge government policies, federal government policies, I'm adding that, uh, by their intentions rather than their results. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I'm, I'm the senator from such and such state. I'm putting forward this bill. It's the make this cool thing better bill. Right. Well, what does this bill do? Well, it makes this thing that we need better. Obviously, that's, it's in the title. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, the names of these. And, I, and, I, and, and we all believe it. It's like, how many times have you been going through the news and you're like, oh, that's kind of a fun article. I'd like to read about that. You read the article and it had nothing to do with the title. Yeah. It's like, what the heck? Yeah. Yeah. The names of these programs, they're named with buzzwords and to kind of almost throw people off, I feel like at times it's because it's like, well, how can you argue with this? How, what you don't want to help? Yeah. Uh, what is it? Orphans in, in Kentucky. I mean, yeah, it, right. You have a problem. And there's a really funny bit that reminds me of from uh, Brian Regan. It's like, this man wants to tase seven-year-olds. It's like an ad for this, com- for this local politician and it, defending himself. He's like, no, I never wanted to tase seven-year-olds. I said, in the worst case, if you have to use some kind of force for a minor, then let's use tasers. But it's just exactly that. It's like the spin room, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh my god. He wants to taste seven year olds. These people wanna wanna put orphans <laughs> in Kentucky out on the street. Oh my gosh. It's like, yeah, no, because- I'm just in favor of cutting the program back a little bit. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's taking up a ton of money. It's it's the converse of of what we're talking about. And then and it and it depends on who's trying to spin it, but that's yeah, oh my gosh, that's funny. Wow. Well, I mean, it's like that, like I was saying, it's like just because I object to a thing being done doesn't mean, you know, I object. You assume that I, I object to the thing being done at all. So it's like, oh, well, I'm in favor of cutting this government program, which ostensibly is supposed to help the poor. And then they're like, Senator so and so doesn't, he wants to throw the poor out on the street, doesn't want to help anybody, take all their money. It's like, well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. But that's but that's easy to say. The problem is is when we look at results, results are harder to to sell unless you, you break it down into these finer points because you got to sift through all that data, all that wreckage. You have to actually let the program exist for a while, collect that data, and then go, okay, you know, what is the objective here? You know, and is it obtaining that objective? But the, the problem is inherent with a government program that's supposed to help, like the poor, for example. One of the metrics they use is by how many people sign up. <laughs> that's 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 a terrible metric for poverty. It, what you want is you want to you want nobody on the program. 
because nobody would be a better metric. But at the same time, you you do want you see what I'm saying? Like, yes, we want people that need help to sign up for the program. But at the same time, we don't want you on the program because we hope that means that if you're not on the program, you don't need help and you're okay. (laughs) And ideally, it's not spending as much money. So that's a win for everyone. Yeah. But but these programs just they don't ever go away. They don't ever fulfill. They, they they don't ever go away. They just expand. They never fulfill their their mission, and and they never go away. They never. They just metastasize or they just hang around. It's the it's the weirdest thing. So that being said, then this is why I kind of I sympathize with more extreme cutting of programs because it's like no matter how hard you push, you're actually really not going to make huge divots. But you have to yell really loud and push really hard to get any little divot. Right. Or it seems that way. It seems that way. It's kind of like when you're growing up, right? Your mom's yelling at you. She's like, hey, go clean your room. Hey, go clean your room. Hey, go clean. Hey, go clean. And then, you know, and, yeah. and you're like, whoa, geez, mom, take it easy. And she's like, I've been telling you seven times. <laughs> yes. You don't ever actually go clean your room until I'm screaming at you. Right. So it's. This is. This is what this harkens back to what my earlier point and actually Elder Renlund's earlier point of as the distance between giver and receiver shrinks, so also the the sense of entitlement shrinks, and that's a really positive thing for the person receiving help because we want people the church church's program is all about self reliance, so you're becoming self reliant over time. you need help now, but you're not always going to need help. You're being helped right now to be able to pay your rent, but you're also learning how to get into college and get a degree so you can get a higher paying job type of thing. Right. Which, you know, isn't isn't a hard line of, oh, got to lift you up by your bootstraps, but everybody needs help at some point or another. And there's nothing wrong with needing help. Right. But I, that's the thing. I, I want to balance this conversation out with that aspect because I don't want to be branded as this person who doesn't care. Because I do, which is a common thing with conservatives. They they're yes. just like, oh yeah, you 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 Republicans are are You're just this heartless bee, money grubbing, greedy. You sitting behind this big desk with his smoking his big stogie. Yeah, making your millions on the backs of the poor. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, no, dude, I'm a proletariat too. Gosh dang it, I'm I'm just I'm the dude. I'm a nine to fiver, you know, nine to fiver with a mortgage and kids yeah. and you know. <laughs> I'm trying to make ends meet too. I just think that there's a difference in how you approach the problem, you know? And like you were saying, the things you use to measure those, these programs. I'm not in favor uh, of destroying all welfare programs, but I'm in favor of asking the question. I'm in. F- <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't want to. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, essentially, well, I would contend at least on the federal level, I do want to get rid of all all charitable policies and programs at the federal level. Absolutely. I want to get rid of them wholesale. Yes. Completely. Yeah, totally. There's at no- the federal level, no doubt. Yes. If the state government wants to get involved in charity work, psh, let the people decide. Yeah. But the federal level should not be doing that in any way, shape, or form. Exactly. And you know, you can call that extreme if you want. That's fine. This, uh, the time we live in seems to be the era of extremes. So, you know, welcome to the club. Yeah. I don't know. I get, it dovetails with like, what are we trying to accomplish? And real change has to happen on an individual basis. You have to take individuals and government really 
isn't well equipped to do that. I've seen, I know of at least two charities right off the top of my head that cater specifically to a very specific, you know, to a specific locale and a specific um, geographically, I mean, and a specific type of charity that they focus on, charitable work, I mean. Like the one I'm thinking of off the top of my head is is here in Utah County or or down where you are, you know, Utah County. And they don't do charity work, you know, drilling wells in Africa or something. That that's not what they do. They are catered to a, a specific geography and they do meals for the poor. That's what they do. The homeless. They they do meals. They don't do water. They don't do uh catastrophe relief, you know natural disaster relief. That's not what they do. They only do this one specific niche. Then other other charitable programs focus on, you know, another very specific area. We don't do meals. We do this, you know? So I think... Yeah, specialization. Freeing that up or keeping, enabling them to do that. So whatever government policies we can enact that will free up the proliferation of those type of charities... And and safeguarding them. In other words, if you're abusing your charity status, dude, we're going to drop the hammer on you, like hard. Right, right. So you got both sides of it. It's like we want to we want to want this to flourish. We want charitable organizations. We want it to be. We want to incentivize charitable organizations, and at the same time, we want to disincentivize bad acting. Yeah. In that same capacity, I think that's ultimately the the results based that we want. It seems to me that the country was doing that a lot more earlier in the century. Like Dennis Prager talks about, he gives a speech somewhere. It's on YouTube. He talks about the, uh, he's like, where did the Rotary Clubs go? Where did the church charity clubs go? Where did- I think I heard this, yeah. Why did that all dry up and disappear? You know, and the answer is because government programs and welfare assistance programs started cropping up more. And so the need for those small specialized groups went away. And that's not a, the the results aren't better. The results are worse. The results are, it takes a lot more money and a lot more overhead and a lot more supposed fraud protection and all this other stuff to make that big machine work when a simple rotary club down the street was doing the work of like 10 programs. Yeah. Yeah. They were nailing it. They were, they were, they were kicking butt and taking names there. It was much more efficient, but because the, the welfare state grew, then, then these clubs dried up. Well, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's a prime example of Elder Renlund's talk and also what Milton Friedman talks about. It's me, you know, risking, because it's risk, right? I'm risking whatever funds I'm going to collect. And I'm, you know, going and selling to other people saying, hey, I've got this nonprofit, this charity, donate to this cause that I'm doing. And I have to account to those people directly. And if I don't, there's, there's, there's potential criminal charges and and uh, tort tort stuff. Yeah. So it's like I've got I've got both ends. I've got the altruistic side, you know, the carrot, if you will, and I've also got the the stick. Because if I don't perform, then they're going to come after me. But if I do, which I fulfilled the purpose for which I set out on for the charity in the first place, but it's me risking those dollars directly, and I'm being directly accountable. Right. With government programs. There's a, there's a several steps or several 
levels of removal. I mean, it would be very difficult to to track the tax dollars that I pay and say exactly where my my individual tax dollars ended up, right? Mike Lee talks about this in, in one of his books. Um, I think it was his book about the need for a constitutional amendment to uh, that requires balancing the budget. And he's talking about, I think he called it like the Costco effect or something to that, something similar to that, right? Or these kind of the, you know, Sam's Club, you go into Sam's Club or Costco, right? You're buying in bulk, mm-hmm. right? And so suddenly you go in and, and it's like, well, I only need a bag of lunch meat, like one little thing of lunch meat. That's all I need. But because it's on sale, I'm going to buy like four, <laughs> right? And it's, and it is, it's a good price. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm buying in bulk. And so you go up and you end up spending all this money. It's like, yeah, but look at all this stuff I, I got or whatever. I, I can't remember the point because it's been a, a while since I've read it, but essentially it's like, we're gathering all these, this tax revenue. I love how they call it revenue. It cracks me up. Um, but anyway, all these tax dollars and it's so easy to justify. It's like, we're pulling in billions in tax revenue. You can't spare a a measly couple million for this specialty program to help these people in this very specific area to, to do whatever. And in some cases it actually kind of gets specialized to a point where it's like, uh, sexist or racist or, you know, some other kind of ist, right? Well, this, this thing that the government set up, it only helps this demographic. Okay, so now you're being prejudiced yeah. inherently. That's great. Yeah, that's a different topic. But my point is, is like it's so easy to yeah, we're, it's so easy to justify that, right? It's like I, we've got we've got billions that we're pulling in taxes. Why can't we just spend a little bit on this one little thing? As if you know what I'm saying? Anyway. Yeah. Well, it is true. It's government isn't all that much different than companies, except for some very distinct ways. But my, what, I'm, what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is that it's still made up of people. And these people still do things in a very similar way to companies, like like budgets. And it's like, well, I want my program to get more money so that I can do these things, you know, next budget season, next year. And sometimes there's a surplus in budgets. And it's like, well, I, I have to spend it. Right, right. So now I got to... <laughs> You know, I have got to spend that money. Otherwise, it's going to be taken out of next year's budget. Yeah, I got to come up with some idea, something that I can justify spending money on so that we don't they don't cut our budget for next year when we might actually need it. Exactly. And it's so in that way, government is very similar to companies. Lydia. Hi. Hi. Say hi to Uncle Dow. Hey there, kiddo. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, I get I get what you're saying, kid. You. Why don't you preach at us for a Hi. little bit? Hi, you cutie. I got to smooch your little cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. Well, no, you're you're absolutely right, and and actually, you know, down at the school, we see this all the time, right? You got these different departments, and they're just crazy removed from yeah, where the source of the income, right? Yes, yes. So like with business, like where I'm working right now, right? There's a direct line. It's like, you didn't perform, this client fired you or they don't pay or you do perform and they do pay. And suddenly it's like, hey, payday, that's great. Yeah. But in government, it's like, there's this huge removal and we're not even talking about charity anymore. We're talking about just general, because that's what free market does, right? It, it, 
for you to be successful, it requires you to do a service or good for someone, right? Yes. That they want or need. Yeah, it's a mutually beneficial transaction. I'm paying for a service that I need and you're providing that service and I, you're getting money for it. Right. So it, it inherent in it is a control for behavior. Yeah, and quality. And quality. And yeah. And accountability. So and accountability. If your product it turns out, right, that your product is killing children or something, well there is plenty of avenues and remedies to go after you to one to stop the product from doing that and for you to you know to make a decision and shape up and be like you know what we're going to fix our product and we're going to do this and we're going to pay whatever penalty and we're going to go forward right and see i've always loved the analogy that you've given a lot and that i suppose actually comes from milton friedman that government should be the referee in the game not a player or a coach in the game Governments, the referee in the room should be, should be. So yeah. they should be involved with policing these different companies as they're acting. They shouldn't be seeking to, and the same with charities. They should be seeking to police these charities and enforce rules. But look, we in, want everybody to play, and we want everybody to to be successful. You exactly. know, and and the way we've got it with the way we're regulating is so that that can happen. But exactly. suddenly when the ref's playing, suddenly that's that's totally different. Now. Suddenly things just start shifting and changing. And it's like we have conflicting conflict of interest. Well, because those, well, this gets into crony capitalism, they call it, right? And and conservatives, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the rhetoric it, it, it's that we hear and the accusations against conservatives for the capital, oh, you're such greedy, whatever. What you're really talking about is crony capitalism. And that's what the point is, is like, there are such avenues, bureaucratic avenues, that big companies can be in cahoots with federal government. Yeah, And it's like, essentially, I'm bribing the ref. Hey, ref, I'll give you this money, or I'll donate to your charity of choice, or I'll do whatever backhanded yeah. deal yeah. that might be. And you just you know, give me a little advantage here. Give me a little advantage there. Yeah, or yet hire us to do some work. Yeah. <clears throat> So, I mean, and then, of course, government gets swindled like, I mean, what was it back in the uh, railroad days, right? The, the government was actually paying out money to for railroad by the mile. I know. Just, just think about that for a minute. <laughs> so, if you're a contractor and I'm building, the government's paying you to buy the mile of railroad you lay down. Yep. Is your railroad going to be a straight line? No. Nope. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to have as many. <laughs> well, right. Let's make a distinction here between an honest person and a dishonest person. Well, sure. Okay. Yeah. You know, if I'm a dishonest businessman, then of course I'm going to just make that track as, going to make that track as windy as possible. But if I'm an honest person, I'm going to try to do the best job I can. But at the end of the day, even an honest person probably would do the math and it's like, well, it's going to cost a lot more money to go straight through this hillside and I'll even make money if I just go around it. So I think I'll just go around it, right? Right. And that could be a, a genuine, anyway. But if you have different values like, well, no, I want to sell the fastest way to get across the coast to, from coast to coast or whatever yeah. to my customers. And if I, have a sh if I have a long train ride that I'm not going to attract as many customers, 
then there is more incentive to go straight through that hillside, right? So we get into a situation where it pays you as a company, or in other words, or it costs less, let's say, maybe not necessarily pays you, but maybe it costs less to exploit avenues that are there, meaning senators and congressmen, you know, we get into the, they're, they're essentially able to be purchased. Yeah. Now I, that doesn't mean I go and, you know, they have a price tag and I scan them and I, Oh, I just bought a Senator. Oh, look at that. Yeah, sure. No, it, it could, it's, it's a lot more subtle and a lot more nuanced, right? And we get into secret combinations, but essentially that's crony capitalism. So instead of the government, the government's now playing and not just playing, it's now playing with like the players it likes. Yeah, it's like a ref being a fan of the team that's in the game. It's like, wait a second, this guy's not calling any fouls on this team. Yeah, exactly. Oh, not only that, but oh, I'm favoring this team, and I'm also favoring these particular players. You know, Amazon, Apple, Google. Uh huh. And so suddenly, oh, uh, you know, they have all these advantages that you know other other players don't. Anyway, you know, we're providing a pretty good argument, which claims a lot of uh, the deck is stacked against them and these different minority groups where the where the, it seems like the system's been set up to to the extent that that's true the irony is the people that are promulgating more and more government and the bigger government gets the more it does this crony capitalism that we're talking about which hurts these people the irony is is that those who espouse more and more government policies in the name of helping these groups are actually perpetuating the problem. Yeah, that's a good point. To the extent that that is that this the system is against them, and it's like, well, who's been in charge of the system? That's that's the the irony there. So trimming back government policies, right? Okay, so simplicity is best, right? Or, or I can't remember who quote who said it, but essentially, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And one of the reasons for that is because if I have a system like a program or whatever, and it's simple, right? It's simple to understand, like budgeting. Budgeting is so simple and common sense that it, you know it becomes kind of a superpower because everybody's looking for something more complicated. They're looking beyond the mark for something more complicated. But when it's simple, it means that it's easy to fix if it's broken. If it gets gummed up or somebody messes it up, it's easy to go back because it's, oh, it's only A, B, and C. That's all you have to do. Just arrange it so that it's A, B, and C. Oh, okay. As opposed to like, well, A, B to the square root of, blah, you know, you got this huge convoluted yeah, yeah. system to it. So when you trim back government so that it's smaller, you have a more simple streamlined situation so that it's easy to correct it and that it's running properly. And then again, this gets back into my argument. Well. Just because I'm saying the federal government shouldn't be involved in charity work, at the same time, I would say that you should get out of the way of who do we want to take care of the poor? Well, we want families to take care of their own because everybody's got a family. Yes. And everybody's got you know a church locally and other charities locally. So how can we trim back federal government and get them out of the way to enable these families to take care of their own. So for example, if families can keep more of their wealth, see, this is the other problem with the, the left's arguments, right? They say that just because you know you your family getting more and more money, they're, they're not going to be using it for the right things. It's like, well, yeah, there's going to be individuals who don't use their money for the right things, but that doesn't justify saying we need to tax them more because you're, the government's more responsible for money than they are. That's not the point at all. 
But if families can keep more of their money, they're going to be able to keep and protect their own better. So, you know, the sibling that got addicted to drugs and is now on the street. Well, if I'm keeping more and more of my money and so are my siblings, we're better able to take care of that sibling who's lost than the federal government is. Yeah, I agree. But there's the question of the people without families. And there's also the question of, well, it's not really a question. Well, everything, everything has exceptions, of course. But what I'm saying is like the vast, like we're taking a very a specific percentage of those in poverty, right? And of course, you know, on a, depending on if I do overtime or not, you could argue I'm in poverty, depending on how you want to cross, put that line, right? Not really. I'm just using that as an example. But, but essentially, like, yeah. I'm talking grinding, like on the street, you know, that's all I've got, closing my back, poverty. So if we want to take the percentage of people who are actually in that situation, and then how many of those have family that can help them out and that is willing to help them out. Well, what percentage is that? Okay, well then go to the next thing, right? The next metric. Well, how many charities are local that can actually help them with the specific problems they need? What percentage can that have? So suddenly we whittle it down or winnow it down to where, okay, here's that percentage, you know, whatever it is. And now it's down to like, you know, 6%. So now there's 6% in poverty as opposed to the 10% we were looking at originally all without government doing any program whatsoever. And that made a huge, bigger dent in the war on poverty than 50 years of government, federal government programs. Yeah. Anyway. No, exactly. Unfor- See, <clears throat> there's a, I saw an ad because I had Hulu with ads and it was the worst, but there was this ad for, uh, what, should, what do you call it? The government health insurance Medina, yeah, healthcare, health, healthcare.gov, healthcare.gov, right? There's this commercial for healthcare.gov. Yeah, it's like, oh, like recent legislation has made it so more people can qualify for for health for healthcare for affordable healthcare. And um, this guy is on there, and he's saying, "I just live with my dog, and now I'm able to get healthcare. Now I, I'm not, I don't have to work as much." And I now have more time to pursue my dream of writing an ukulele symphony. And I was like, what? Like, this is exactly the problem. This is exactly the problem. Like, this guy has this dream of providing something that ha- that doesn't give any value to people, that people wouldn't normally want to pay for. But now he's enabled to spend his time for that which brings no revenue back. Therefore... We are supporting him. Yeah, we're we're subsidizing. We're his. subsidizing this this behavior, which I'm I'm I like pursuing music too. All right, but like the whole thing, it was like this commercial was just so backwards to me, and I'm like, holy crap! Like this is the problem. Is not that's the problem with government assistance? Is you incentivize the bottom. You incentivize this bracket down there and you grow that bracket because you want to, you want to cover more people. But as you continue to grow that bracket, that means people who are like two levels above it or one level above it, they're like, wait a second. If I just trim back my efforts here, you know, then yeah. uh, I can, I can go qualify for this and then I get more free time to do whatever, whatever I want. Hey, we all want more free time to do whatever we want. <laughs> the irony is the free market has enabled more free time than any other government policy. Again. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, once again. Yeah, exactly. But it's 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 incentivizing bad behavior and poverty 
creating practices, right? What creates poverty is in, I'm, I'm not talking about people who have legitimate substance abuse issues or mental health issues. I'm talking right. about workers like who are able to work and, and don't this, want to. Yes. But they're like fair to Midland workers, you know? And this is the problem with a one size fits all big government solution is because they, you remove the eyes on the ground, the boots on the ground, so to speak. Like to relate it to a church, you have a bishop in a ward who's over the people there and can see them and meet with them face to face and assess their situation one-on-one. One-on-one. And when you do that, you can see, oh, this kid who's 25 years old who wants to pursue his dream of writing a ukulele symphony could easily be working and doing a lot more. So I'm going to work with him on a one-on-one basis and encourage him to do that. You know, instead, but, but he can also, those, that same boots on the ground can look at this uh, woman in her 60s who hasn't worked because she's been a mother her whole life and, you know, her she's recently widowed and her only son surviving is, you know, right, across the right. world and she needs help. It's like, okay, perfect. That's exactly the the more individual that we're looking to help and provide assistance to. Everyone would agree, right? And so that's the problem when these discussions, these debates come up too, is everyone brings up those 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 white knight scenarios. What am I looking for? Like those those obviously acceptable circumstances to provide assistance to. But they leave out the discussion on all the other situations where it's like you probably shouldn't be providing assistance to that that person or that group or whatever. Yeah, and that, and that the problem is that gets into a judgment call every single time, right? When we're speaking macro level, is it's a judgment call, but who should be making those judgment calls? Which is what your point is, I think. You know, essentially a bishop in a ward of, you know, 200, 300, 400 people is better able to make those judgment calls than a bureaucrat who's three states over, who works for the federal government and has been for the last 25 years and seen, you know, however many regime changes yeah, and still has the same job. A, a bishop in a ward, a local ward is way better able to assess those needs and to dole out charity as, you know, and maybe he makes the bad call every once in a while. Sure. Going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's a way better situation than healthcare.gov, which apparently this guy just said that essentially what he said is I was having to work harder or essentially he was probably a part-time worker or excuse me, he was a full-time worker and didn't qualify for healthcare.gov. But now that he dropped down to part-time, he can qualify for healthcare.gov. <laughs> and so what? now he can pursue his dream of, a, you know what I'm saying? I'm just, exactly. I, I, that might not be the case, but essentially- I, It seems to be what he was implying. That's how they're advertising it. That's how yeah. they're advertising it. Right. Oh, now I don't have to go work at my job and work very hard because I'm saving money on healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're enabling this crowd who wants to go live in a van- Down by the river. Down by the river. And be paid to do it. Exactly. And it's that to me that has a real damaging effect on society as a whole, which government has a vested interest in lifting society and making society better. It's like, no, that is not making society better in the long run. You're doing us all a disservice. This gets into the purpose of government. What's the purpose of federal government? Is the purpose of federal government to help people? And I know that sounds terrible, right? It just sounds so cold hearted. Oh my gosh. But I would I would argue that the purpose of the federal government is not to help people. Right. 
The purpose of charities, the purpose of us as individuals is to help people. Neighbors, good neighbors. Neighbors. Being friendly to one another. The Savior did not say, you know, go help your neighbor government. No, he was talking to the people, individuals. Yeah. Go love your neighbor. Exactly. Was he talking to the government or was he talking to you? He was talking to me. As an individual. Yeah. He said, Dal, you need to go help these individuals. And so I do as best I can right. within with the means that I've been provided and that I work for. It's a fascinating topic. Absolutely. I mean, it definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely. I want to do spaceship stuff because essentially this is like, right. There's the classic next generation and this, this will be our preview. Yeah. So right. There's the, the, the classic next generation, Star Trek next generation, right? Captain Picard, everybody's freaking hero, encounters the Borg, right? And it's that classic, like, never seen it before, but it's, we go in and it's the Borg spaceship, you know, we are the Borg, lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. <laughs> right the ship right it's in space and we're just these like this the enterprise right it's this cool spherical shaped like streamlined looking thing and then the borg it's a borg cube it's literally it's a, cube. a spaceship that is a cube in space <laughs> like it goes against everything we've ever thought about with like aerodynamics and airplanes and everything we're like oh yeah and then you get to think about the science of space and you're like oh i guess that yeah the, oh, oh yeah yeah. I, yeah that could work yeah <laughs> that kind of gets me onto this topic. It's like, what is the ideal like shape for spacecraft, right? I've got some quick answers to that. Like, it depends on the function that you're trying to perform, right? I mean, if this is right. a spacecraft that's re-entering atmospheres often, it can't have a bunch of crazy doohickeys all of them yeah. over it, right? It's got to like survive this blast shield. So there's like science. Oh yeah. Mixed in with, oh, obviously mixed in with spacecraft. Yeah, dude, this topic is so great. All right, join us next time, please. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion here. Join us next time on so you can hear me when I'm gone. We'll hopefully be discussing uh, spaceship design, starship design. We'd like to thank our guest, Mike and Lids, for joining us this evening. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks. It's a good show.